Well, good morning, everybody. I had a bit of a birthday this week, and um, it's a bit like I feel a bit like the the Hilux. The odometer keeps rolling on and rolling on and getting higher and higher. Uh, this week, I got up to uh, 52, and um, I'm quite encouraged by all the statistics suggest that men reach their midlife crisis at 47. So I should be well through my midlife crisis now, although there was a little bit of a concern a few weeks back because on Anzac Day, I took Mary up to, um, for a romantic day, we went up to Palmerston, uh, which is where you go, men, if you want to take your ladies on a romantic outing. Palmerston's the place to go, and you always take your trailer when you go on a romantic outing, so... So I took the trailer, and Mary said, why are we taking the trailer? Well, you know, just a bit of romance, Mary, adding a bit of romance to the day. And so we got to Palmerston, we parked outside an address, and I went, and there it was. There it was, the vision I'd been waiting for and I'd seen on Trade Me. It was a ride-on mower. (laughs) I am now the Forrest Gump of Waihola. We can have that, script, that, that shot up there. I don't know if you've seen Forrest Gump. Anybody seen Forrest Gump? And yeah, there you go. And, and Forrest gets the ride on Murrah and he says, because I was a gazillionaire, I love mowing that lawn so much, I'd do it for free. Well, no, we're not going to shout. No, that's all right. I am not in a... I'm through the... I'm through the um, Midlife crisis, I can assure you all. But it was a great day, a great culinary delights. I had my dozen oysters and celebrated. So as Sam has advised you all, uh, we are journeying through First Peter. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time this morning, we're up to week four. And we're just beginning at chapter two. And for those of you who haven't been us, we've already, we've already heard that we have been chosen We have been sanctified. We have been sprinkled by the blood of Christ. We heard in chapter 1 that we have a living hope because we have a living Savior. And last week, we heard that we have been called by God to be agents of holiness. Because God is holy, we've been called to be agents of holiness. And then Peter begins chapter 2 by saying, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, Hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, in these 10 verses that we're going to look at this morning, Peter describes at least eight descriptive phrases of what the church is. We're going to hear that we are living stones, we're spiritual house, we're a holy priesthood, we're a chosen people, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, we are God's special possession, we are a people of God. And significantly, every one of these eight phrases talks about the collective nature of what it means to be the people of God together. And because of that... Peter begins this chapter by saying, rid yourself of all of this rubbish so that you can be the people of God together. We must get rid of, he says, malice, the desire to injure others. Peter says, you've got to get rid of the deceit, that desire to trick others. Get rid of it. That's going to corrode our community that we have that is the church. Get rid of the hypocrisy, he says. Hypocrisy is the opposite 
of being transparent with one another, saying something but believing something else. Jesus was scathing of the teachers of the law in Matthew 23 when he said this, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Peter says, get rid of that. Get rid of that double standard in your life. He talks about getting rid of the envy. And the word is thonos. Now, for all you Marvel fans out there, you'll be able to remember this word. It's a bit like Thanos, but not quite. It's just as bad. It's not just that you are jealous about what others have, but you're actually spiteful towards them and you're wanting their downfall. Peter says, get rid of the slander. Get rid of speaking ill of others when they're not around you. Now, a bit of a list that, that Peter starts with after he's called us to be holy. Because God is holy, he's saying, you've got to get rid of this rubbish because that's going to corrode and impact our church community together. If you're not sure where to start with, let me encourage you to connect with what the Holy Spirit is doing in you and start with that last one of slander. Get rid of that. Get rid of any sense of bad-mouthing people around you, especially when you're not in their presence. Get rid of the slander because that's going to corrode your community, Peter is saying. Be holy because the Lord your God is holy. Rather, he says, Peter goes on to say, crave pure spiritual milk. Crave pure spiritual milk. Now, you might assume that Peter here is referring to opening up the Bible every morning and being fed on God's Word. But remember who he's speaking to here in the first century. He's speaking to this gathering of pagans who have come to know Christ. They don't have the Bible. They don't have the New Testament at this point. They have just received a letter from one of the apostles. So what's he talking about when he says, crave this pure spiritual milk? Well, I think he's going to, as we're going to, see from these next few verses, he's going to encourage us about the journey of our life together in the Spirit. He's going to encourage you to be craving that life together that we have in the Spirit. He's going to be encouraging us to be craving our prayer, our fellowship, the preaching of the Word, all that they were hearing and seeing and doing, their life together. Crave that, Peter is saying, if you want to grow up. Crave that pure spiritual milk. And then he shifts the metaphor. In the next few verses, he shifts the metaphor into a building metaphor. So look at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture, he says, and he reminds them of the Old Testament, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So Peter uses this building analogy. And he's going back into Isaiah. Significantly, he quotes twice from Isaiah here and once from the Psalms as he talks about the spiritual house that we are becoming. And he takes them back to Isaiah 28 where he talks about the spiritual house and he talks about God being the cornerstone. 
The cornerstone was the keystone that was laid in the foundation. And all the walls and all the building was lined up with the cornerstone. If the cornerstone wasn't laid right, or if it was out of whack, the whole building was out of whack. He's drawing the connection between Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. And he's saying to you and he's saying to me, we need to line our lives up. Not just individually, but corporately as a church, we need to line our lives up with Christ, the cornerstone. And as we align our lives with the life of Christ, then this spiritual house is going to be strong and it's going to be secure. But as we do that, he's reminding us that just as it happened in the days of old, people will reject you as you align yourself with God's ways. People will reject you, but God has chosen you. He keeps reminding us through the letter, God has chosen you despite being rejected by God, by people. Align yourself to the cornerstone. So Peter takes them back to Isaiah 28. And without unpacking the whole chapter of Isaiah 28, basically Peter is saying here that like Israel, salvation was assured in the laying of the foundation of the temple, but Israel stumbled. They chased after what it means, other means of security and protection. And then Yahweh, as Isaiah 28 says, a word of judgment fell on Israel. Priests and prophets stagger from beer and he befuddled from wine. I only had one can on Monday, I just need to say. But the, the teachers of Israel were leading the people astray and so Israel stumbled. Don't be like that, Peter says. They stumble, he says in verse 8, because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. But not you, Peter says. Not you. Peter goes on to say, you who have been craving pure spiritual milk of the church community, you are living stones being built into a spiritual house. And then he describes them significantly as a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. Remember last week we made the link between God's grace and God's holiness. Because of God's grace, we can be holy. Again, this connection of God's grace and God's holiness permeates this section as well. The writer in the Hebrews reminds us that the law of Moses could not remove sin. How could Peter, and he's using all of these phrases, all these phrases come from Israel, the royal priesthood, the holy nation. How could Peter make the distinction now that these people who are the church are now the holy priesthood? Well, Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews 10, verse 5 and 14. And here we read the following. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sinned offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God's. First, he said, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings. You did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
How do we become holy? As Peter's been urging us, be holy because God is holy. How do we become holy? The writer to Hebrews gives us the clue. We become holy because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we identify with that in faith, we begin to be transformed by the Spirit of God and become holy. God's grace draws out holiness in his creation. Verse 18 in Hebrews 10 makes it very clear that sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. In other words, the Levitical priesthood of Israel is now out of a job. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. The blood of the lambs, of the bulls, of the goats, of the heifers, no longer necessary because, why? Because of the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb without blemish. Forgiveness still has to be appropriated, and we do that by placing our faith in this death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why baptism is so important. As Paul reminds us, in baptism we identify with the death of Christ. But Peter is making this radical declaration here that you, the people of God, the church, are now the holy priesthood. What a profound transformation that God has begun. Sitting beside you, Peter is saying, is a holy priest. Imagine that, sitting beside you, you might not believe that right now, but sitting beside you is a holy priest, Peter is saying. A holy priest. Do we still get tempted by sin? Yeah, every day. Just as we put out the rubbish on a regular basis, so we need to rid ourselves, Peter says, of malice, of deceit, of envy, of slander. All of that has to go. But in Christ Jesus, Peter is saying, you are forgiven and you are free. And more than that, you have been called to become a holy priesthood. That's who we are, the church. Israel stumbled because they disobeyed the message, Peter says. People today still stumble when we disobey the message. But the holy priesthood means that we are welcome in Christ. What does this priesthood look like? What does it mean to be this holy priesthood, this royal priesthood, as Peter describes it? Well, this week, a significant figure in the Church of God passed away. You probably have not heard of Jean Vanier. Has anybody heard of Jean Vanier? One or two people. Jean Vanier was, he was 19 years old and died this week. Uh, he established a community called La Arche, which is the French word for the Ark. And this community is basically was a ministry over the last 42 years for people with intellectual disabilities. And Jean Vanier had this profound understanding of what it meant to be a holy priesthood, of coming amongst the broken and the marginal. But his key insight, I think, was the mutuality of ministry when the gospel is shared one to another. So somebody writing about Vanier this week uh, as a tribute to his life said the following, we don't often find people born into privilege and status and highly educated who then follow the downward path of Jesus. Vanier was a very wealthy man. He was a very educated man. 
and he went and spent the last 40 years of his life living in community with the intellectually disabled. But as the founder of Larch International, Vania spent decades in community with people with and without intellectual disabilities, embraced the joys, the complications, the demands that go along with such a life. He goes on to say, this theologian understood early that Larch would not be a place of one-sided service and his emphasis on true mutuality and relationships has become one of the most enduring legacies for the church. In community, Vanier discovered how human weakness and vulnerability enables us to forge real communities and connections. Now, one of his uh, great mentorees, if you like, was Henri Nguyen. Henri Nguyen, you might have heard of, also went and served in this ministry in La Arche. And the emphasis was on this holy priesthood where one ministers the other to the other, the gospel of Christ. What does it mean to be a holy priesthood? Peter goes on in verse 9 and 10 with four more descriptions of the church. Chapter 2, verse 10, he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people of God's. All four of these terms have in the past been applied to Israel, and now Peter is saying, this is your calling. This is you, the church. A chosen people. In Deuteronomy 10, 15, we read, Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved you and chose you, their descendants, above all nations as it is today. This troubling and glorious doctrine of the election, we have been a chosen people in continuity with the people of Israel, Peter is saying. He goes on to say, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people of God. Now just to see how significant this transition from Israel having these titles to the church now having this title, I want to jump back into Exodus 19, and I want to take you back to Sinai, where Moses is at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and he's leading the Israelites. They're about to receive the Ten Commandments, and listen to what God says to Moses right back there at the beginning. He says, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Frophidian, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. And he said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That's the grace of God. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, 
Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Interesting phrase that we've heard already this morning. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And now Peter is taking these very words, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people, and he's applying it to that motley crew that is the church that is in front of him. The transformation is radical. So what does it mean to be a holy priesthood? Because that's what Peter is saying to us now. You and I, who have come to Christ, the perfect sacrifice, we are now the holy priesthood. What does that look like in our life this morning? Well, Peter's given us a number of descriptions about this community that comes together, living stones, spiritual house, holy priesthood, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, the people of God. How can he make the transition from the Israelites to now being the church, carrying those titles? Well, I wanna take you back to Calvary. I wanna take you back to that last few hours when Jesus was hanging on the cross. In those last three hours where he was hanging on the cross and darkness covered Israel as the Son of God was dying there and towards the end of those last three hours at three o'clock, he cries out with a loud voice, Matthew's gospel tells us. He gives up his spirit and then what happens? The curtain is torn from top to bottom Earthquakes happen, the dead are risen, Matthew tells us, but significantly he reminds us that the curtain has been torn. Entry into the holy of holies has been won by the sacrifice of Christ. No longer is Levitical priesthood needed. Anybody now, Matthew is telling us, anybody now, Peter is telling us, can enter into the holy place because of the sacrifice of Christ. You and I are now the priesthood. You and I have that holy calling to minister the gospel one to another, to share the good news of God's life, death, and resurrection in the person of Jesus to one another, and not just to one another, but to this world. What does this holy priestly ministry look like? Well, Paul reminds us in Romans 15, it is about proclaiming the gospel of Christ. That's his priestly ministry, Paul says. It is about declaring the praises of God that we have moved from darkness to light, Peter tells us. It is about encouraging one another and spurring one another on in good deeds. You and I are now that holy priesthood ministering the gospel in mutual grace and truth. Let me conclude this morning by reading from the book of Hebrews before we pray, and then we're going to minister one to another as we break bread this morning. This is how the writer to Hebrews in chapter 10 puts it. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Father, as we gather in your name this morning, we do so conscious of your grace upon our lives, with grateful hearts, thankful for all that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus. We acknowledge this morning that he is the perfect, unblemished lamb that was sacrificed, an offering found acceptable in your sight. And we thank you this morning for reminding us from your apostle's letter that we are now the holy priesthood. We are now the chosen people, your treasured possession. And so we thank you for your grace upon our lives. I pray for each and every one of us that as we journey on, as we gather around this table, your table this morning, as we journey through this week, show us what it means to be your holy priesthood, ministering your gospel of grace and truth to one another and to a broken and hurting world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.